This piece was brought to you by Roberta's, robertaspizza.com. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. We're a member-supported food radio network broadcasting over 35 weekly shows live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. Join our hosts as they lead you through the world of craft brewing, behind the scenes of the restaurant industry, inside the battle over school food, and beyond. Find us at heritageradionetwork.org. Hey, 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 welcome to Beer Sessions Radio on the Heritage Radio Network. Hey, I'm Jimmy Carboni, Jimmy's number 43, the Good Beer Seal. It is Tuesday, March 27th, 2018. We've got some great guests joining us tonight. Big shout out to Brian Strumke, our brother. Uh, he's uh, putting down roots here in in uh, Brooklyn, New York City. Uh, he got married to uh, Bryn. Hey, Brian. Hey, Bryn. How are you guys? We're good. Doing great. It's kind of big news. And... Uh, you're literally putting down roots with a, 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 a brewery that you're going to be opening in Greenpoint called Production uh, by Stillwater, and I'm looking forward to that in 2018. Congratulations, Brian. Thank you. That's going to be a big focus of our show tonight. And joined by guests, we got, oh, this guy happens to be a master Cicerone. I know a number of you out there have taken it and not, not got it, but Rich <laughs> did. How many times did you take that, Rich? Uh, I took it twice, yeah. It's, took it's, it twice. Uh, it's not too easy, but... <laughs> Try, try again. And you're in town, what, you're doing some tastings and trainings? That's right, yeah. I'm in town for uh, just a couple days in New York this week. I'm stoked, though. I'd, uh, I had a great tasting uh, last night at Treadwell Park. Uh, tomorrow night at uh, 6.30, I have a cheese and beer pairing, Old World versus New World Beers and Cheeses at ABC Beer Co. in Alphabet City. see, and I'll be there. That's right, cool, I'm man. Be Excellent. There. Excellent. Yeah, and our good buddy, uh, Dan LaMonaco. Hey, man. Hey, how's it going? Beer Karma Bar, Williamsburg. Uh, yeah, Laura very, very excited. Last time I was here, we were not yet open yet, so I'm excited to be here as an, an open and operating uh, beer shop owner. All right, and we're gonna we have some special guests too. Uh, we made a donation to Slow Food NYC. Diane and Barry, they're they're in our studio. Uh, they paid big bucks <laughs> to have a craft beer day with Jimmy. So <laughs> you too, just come with the Bart Roberta's any Tuesday at five o'clock, and you might get lucky too. All right, so guys, okay, thank you. All right, so um. Production from Stillwater. Brian Strumpke is going into production. So, you know, let's, let's tell your backstory, Brian. I mean, you've been on the show a lot. It seems like everyone knows what Stillwater is. You've been a gypsy brewer. Um, you get a special project going on that those of us in New York City are really excited about. Yeah, <clears throat> this uh, it's pretty much going to be like my experimental uh, fermentation laboratory. Um, it's actually not going to house a brew house. Then we're just going to do um, fermentation and wood aging. Um, from mixed culture beers and also dabble into fer- fermented food products and other beverages like kombucha and um, tonics and such. That's great. So you found a spot in, what, in Greenpoint? Yeah, it's on Kingsland and uh, Norman. So that's not too far in Greenpoint, right? It's not too far from Tourist? Yeah, it's not. It's about 10 minutes from Manhattan Avenue walking. Yeah. I mean, you've made some great stuff, sours and, and barrel-aged stuff over the years. I mean, I know Dan... Uh, beer Karma here, you're a big fan of Stillwater. Yeah, the, the beers are fantastic. They sell really well, which always helps. Uh, uh, a combination of uh, being interesting beers and, and easy to sort of uh, introduce people to them. Um, the, the art also pops on a lot of the packaging as well. We've got a couple of them here. The, the Stillwater Insetto is one that looks great. It kind of looks like a, a Beatles on the uh, on the label, and then the the extra dry. Call that bug juice. Bug juice, yes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and then the the extra dry is another one that sells really well for me. Is the the, the sake style saison? I brought a can of that. That one that one always pops out of the fridge as well. What's the first beer that we're drinking? Uh, this is the Hop Fine Bling. Uh, it's sour ale with Sauvignon Blanc grapes. Oh yeah, dry hopped with um, Galaxy and Nelson and Salvin. Where do you where do you get your ideas for beer, Brian? <laughs> No idea. <laughs> I mean, that's a dumb question, but it's a good question for you. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, right now I'm, I've been on a kick. Um, I've, I've always been into sour and funky beers, but um, I drink a lot of wine as well. So I've been really trying to um, hybridize and bridge the gap between beer and wine. So I've been doing a series like Hot Fine Bling is Sauvignon Blanc. Uh, we have uh, Ode Bay, um, which is a Pinot Noir sour. Uh, and coming up is a beer called Dry Cry which is a dry Riesling-inspired, dry-hopped sour beer. Oh, that's the one you're supposed to talk about, right? Dry cry. 
on your one day, <laughs> <laughs> one day. And then Rich, uh, you know, you, you kind of know everything about the beer world. You know, you expert taster. I, I wish there's too much to know these days. Jesus, you're a massive cicerone. Come it's, on, it's it's hectic. It's hard to follow all this stuff. But uh, Brian, I'm stoked about this beer. This uh, I really like the um, the galaxy hops in here. They really the sort of lemongrass notes from the galaxy hops really picks up on the lactic acid in here and sort of just makes it more than just sort of a lemony yogurty tangy beer. Uh, and then on top of that, you got the grapes in there, which add a lot of interesting stuff too. So, bravo! It's good stuff. Thank you. Did did you, Rich? Did you know that they're galaxy hops by by taste, aroma, or did you read the can? Uh, I didn't read the can, but I did listen to my uh, my friend Brian here. But no, no, no. I mean, th- this is overall an extremely citrusy beer, and it's not just sort of a one note lactic beer. That's got a lot of interesting stuff going on beyond just the beyond just the lactic. Yeah, I'm a big fan of dry hopping my sours. I just think it adds an- another dimension. Um, and so a lot of, you know, a lot of times, you know, just straight sours can l- kind of leave a little funkiness on the nose. Yeah. So the hops are kind of there to kind of cover it up and you just got give a floral bouquet. Sure. Yeah, I love it. Uh, you know, I mean, the old world really has a lot of fantastic sours, but, you know, they're not really all about dry hopping them. It's, and sometimes, you know, American brewers sort of jump the shark trying to get creative with, with old world styles, with twists on old world styles. But this is, that's a natural uh, progression, putting some, you know, nice floral and citrusy hops in a, you know, in a beer that already has a little bit of tanginess to it. Yeah, I think it really, it sets it off and it kind of accentuates the the, the fruit and the grape. And I try to, I try to do that. Um, <clears throat> like we have tangerine haze here as well. It's a tangerine dry hop sour. Um, and that one was obviously I used some citra and some mosaic Perfect. for that because it's you know I, so I try to like match the fruit with the hop, yeah, and and then add adding the acidity in you know doing a kettle sour or extended aging with lacto or something, I think really helps to bring the fruit alive, kind of um, gives it a zing. Well, it helps to focus it. You know, I mean, a lot of these a lot of these IPAs, uh, you know, hop forward beers just have so much citrus going on, but it doesn't have any acidity. So the citrus skews sort of super ripe. Yeah. You know, it's like a it's a complaint a lot of people have about uh, like a lot of California wines, for instance, from the 90s. Uh, were just like jammy fruit yeah, bombs. They didn't too, have any acidity. Too fat. It's like, yeah. Mm-hmm. And I, I think, you know, what sour beers coming into play and it, it just it just triggers our our taste buds. Regardless, we, we crave acidity. Yep, and for sure. But fortunately, it's still you know a bready beer. It's got uh, you know it's unfiltered. It's hazy. It's got all that sort of nice bready doughiness too to bring it back into the yeah. beer realm. One of things. How does the double dry hop interact with the sour? What's that? How does the double dry hopping like interact with the sour? Um, I mean that's pretty much what we were just talking about. I know, but <laughs> I like, want to say it again. It's like <laughs> you know, it's it, it's basically you know when you get uh, like a juicy IPA, and you know the hops are really juicy and such. Well. If you dry hop with the same hops in like in a quote, you know, New England juicy IPA, you're going to get a real juicy beer because <laughs> it's like then you have acidity also going in with it. Um, think think of a watermelon agua fresca. It's super sweet, super fruity, but at the end of the day, it's not you know it's refreshing because it's watery. But it's nice to have something like a lemonade or something that's a little bit more sour too. That that acidity helps tighten things up and make it a little brighter. Uh, yeah, acid. <laughs> <laughs> I want to hear how Br- Bryn describes it, because you're like an expert wine wine person. What do I? What do I? What am I describing? The flavor difference? Yeah, like you know, when I ask, I mean, I, I'm asking because when Rich says it, it it's like lyrical, and, and I'm sort of thinking, what, what's a watermelon? I'll go first. Well, here's the thing: watermelon's actually a trigger for me um, as a former beverage director because putting it in a cocktail is a nightmare. By itself, it's sort of it has this like mouth coating kind of flabby feeling, and you need 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 citrus to lift it. Otherwise, it sits there kind of like film. It's really gross. Um, so lime juice, lemon, some something to brighten it up. Similarly, you could compare that to this situation because technically all booze is related. So th- let me, in my words, so this is this is a double dry hop beer, but because it, there's sour base, it. It's it's goes down better. <laughs> oh no, it's just different, um, and it's just right, it's it's just single dry hopped. It's not even that extremely dry hopped uh, because I find that the acid from the souring process accentuates the the hops as well, so you don't have to use as much. Uh, uh, wait, let me, Dan, when you know 
I was well, what I was going to say just in general about this kind of beer and, and kind of a lot of things that come out of Stillwater is that they're they're envelope pushing, but with direction. I feel like um, they're not just sort of over the top for the sake of being over the top for someone to be like I want to try that. It's like a, a, a sour ale with Sauvignon Blanc grapes is different, uh, but it makes sense, uh, and it's something that it, you know it's it's it ends up being a fantastic beer, but it's it's a reason for someone to try it as well. So it kind of it, it does both things. It, it says it, it lets people say like I want to try this, and then they have it, and they're like Wow, this is awesome. It's not just a you know a strawberry marshmallow uh, vanilla milkshake IPA it's uh, unfortunately that is a real thing uh, 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 it, it, they make sense to me and that, that's what I enjoy about uh, when I'm buying still water beers and what about selling them I mean how do you explain it? You know, people know Stillwater. I, I, I would order Stillwater. So, so one of my uh, people always want to know, especially now that there there are more breweries in New York City, they'll say, well, where is Stillwater? And I always, I kind of chuckle and I say, well, they're kind of based out of Maryland. They brew a lot of Connecticut all over the place, but the brewer lives around the corner because Brian actually lives a few blocks away from from the shop and, and him and one of his right-hand men kind of come in frequently. So uh, that's always kind of Drink all the Orval. Yes, he drink, yes, Brian. <laughs> yes, whenever I, I'm always triggered to buy more Orval after, after Brian steps in. Uh, but, uh, you know, that, that's always the first kind conversation but then it's always like with the extra drive for example and people ask like well is this a good beer i'm like it's great because it's you know it's it's subtle and, and and has a lot of nuance but it's also easy drinking so if you're grabbing the boxed four packs you could bring one to a party and share with friends and they're not going to dump out half the can because it's too too sour or too hoppy or too and too offensive you have, so. you have that hybrid format so you're a bar but you're also a store yes yes i'm yeah. hybrid we're from retail and both on premises yeah um so i yeah i don't know that uh i don't uh, I do get stuff on draft uh, occasionally, but yeah, I, I tend to buy a lot of uh, package stuff from Brian. There's always there's always stacks of extra dry and Insetto, and and whenever there's the Hotline Bling sells out really quickly, so I can't yeah. sort of buy it on demand. I I stocked up on it this last time. I learned my lesson the first time when I bought a case, and then it's it, my favorite. Too. It's it's very good. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I learned my lesson that that it was like, oh, I'll try this out, and then it was gone, and then it was sold out entirely. So I I, I stocked up on it this time. And how, how do you describe like you know where you're based now, Brian? <clears throat> uh, I, I, everyone likes Gypsy Brewer, and it's almost like. Every other Gypsy Brewer is opening a brewery. You know, what are you? I like Gypsy Brewery. <laughs> well, I mean, my nomadic life is not gonna, not really gonna change. Um, it's it's an, another project that, you know, we're working on, and <clears throat> and I have partners, you know, helping me unfold everything. Um, so, I don't know. We're still venturing out. I'm gonna, I'm planning to start a line of beers in Europe uh, for the, for Stillwater, and um, you know, we're still. Traveling to Asia, Australia later today. I mean, not today, but <laughs> later later <laughs> this year. <laughs> Jesus, <laughs> that flu is getting on my head. <laughs> um, I think it. Brian puts it perfectly when he describes Stillwater as brewed locally, comma somewhere. <laughs> so it it can be local to wherever it's from, or local because we happen to be in town, or <laughs> anything. Yeah, yeah, I mean, in New York has been a home to me for over five years now, so it just seemed obvious to. Um, to do something in Brooklyn. That's a great quote. Brewed locally somewhere. I like that. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like I'm with Banksy here. <laughs> you know, I'm really into Banksy. You guys don't know that, but it, it, it kind of made me that he was back in town. So if anybody's uh, interested in Banksy, keep, keep me in the loop. So Brian, you know, when you first started, I remember, you know, we met years ago. You came to, like a, we did a Belgian tasting at Jimmy's number 43. Yeah. I think you first had, like, Cellar Door. Yeah. Were you ever brewing in, in uh, Europe back then? Yeah, my, my, funny, and, funny enough, I think it was my second release was, a, was brewed in Belgium. Yeah, that's what I remember you as. I always thought of you as like American dude who was you're a gypsy, so you could brew in, in Europe. Yeah, I took the it was I took the whole approach that from the music industry that um, when I was signed to record labels, uh, most of them were in Europe, and the product we were selling was vinyl records because um, it was for DJs, you know, techno and house music. When <clears throat> when that industry shifted to digital, that's kind of like when I faded out. And I wanted to get into an industry that made tangible product. And I saw the beer industry as like a, as like a unique way to disrupt something that has very traditional roots and hasn't changed a lot over the years. And, um, and I guess my prediction was right. I mean, we saw what happened in the last 10 years with the beer industry. It's like, yeah, it's crazy. It's like we killed the, the original concept of what craft beer is and then made it something and nobody's doing a 3D new. printed version of beer, right? <laughs> it's <laughs> real not beer. Yet. <laughs> yeah, not yet, right? Um, you know, Rich, you're in town and you're doing these cool tastings and things. Um, 
Tell us more about this old world versus new world taste in tomorrow night, because I think it's kind of relevant to, to what Brian's doing and Brian's beers. Yeah, sure. Because he likes Orval. I love Orval. Yeah, Orval I could drink all day. But uh, So the, the tasting is basically structured around. So I sat down with Zach, uh, Zach Mack, the owner of ABC Beer Co., certified Cicerone, amazing guy, uh, and said, look, you know, there are all these great beers that are brewed in New York. There are all these great beers brewed in Europe. Uh you know, let's let's explore the the differences and similarities between them. So uh, we've picked three different styles. We're doing uh, pilsners, we're doing uh, hop forward beers, IPAs basically, and uh, barrel aged sours. And sh- saying, all right, within these three styles, let's pick one uh, European version as well as you know that's imported to New York, and then one uh, local New York version. Taste them side by side, figure out uh, what the differences are, uh, sort of the old world, um, you know, kind of origins, the terroir that's a, that's. Uh, uh, expressed as well as kind of how the New York craft scene is taking, uh, you know, putting its own stamp or imprimatur on those beers. And then we're pairing uh, each of those styles with a different cheese and try to have the cheese kind of link link the old world and the new world version of each. So it uh, should be fun. I'm a big fan. ABC Beer Company. It's in uh, Avenue C and 6th Street, yep. uh, East Village. And then we're, what's this beer? It's a tangerine what? I'm, I'm digging it. It's the... Tangerine haze. You're still drinking hot wine, Blake. No, oh, I am. No, I poured <laughs> in some haze. Oh, okay. Haze. Tangerine <laughs> haze. Tangerine haze. Uh, what's up with this? Yeah. Well, I, I mean, it's, it's it's very similar to you know the same approach to hot wine bling where it's um, <clears throat> this time it's you know a sour with tangerine. It's a little. This one's a little heftier. It's about seven seven percent alcohol, so it's bigger for than typically a sour beer would be. Um, I originally kind of wanted this to be like a sour. I kind of labeled it as like a sour. Tangerine IPA, um, and it just, I don't know, people did, just didn't jive with them. Like, the, the marketing of that, they're like, it's not IPA enough, or like, this IPA is sour. I'm like, Everyone likes to pigeonhole stuff, Of course, the, stuff, ra- right? <laughs> the label said that. <laughs> but, um, so I, now we just call it um, a juicy, dry up sour ale with tangerine. All right. How do you get that tangerine in there? Concentrate. Okay. <laughs> and we're going to talk more about <laughs> this hard. in a minute. We'll be back in a few minutes on Beer Sessions Radio. All right. Hey, welcome back to Beer Sessions Radio on the Heritage Radio Network. Check us out, heritageradionetwork.org. Become a member. There's a lot of benefits. Like, you can come to Roberta's Tuesdays at 5 o'clock. Come sit in with uh, Beer Sessions Radio. All right. So, uh, Brian, we're tasting your ha- tangerine haze. Uh, again, so, Rich, what did you say? It's, it's, it's asked if it's a, any tangerine in there or what's the main ingredients? Yeah, there are a bunch of different ways to add fruit to beers. And uh, tangerines, you know, the juice is uh, kind of sweet and sour. The the uh, pith or the, the peel is where all the really, most of the aroma is, but it's also super bitter. So I'm always curious how people add these fruits. But, um, yeah, so what do you think? Yeah, I mean, this one, um, a lot of mine I use concentrates. Um, mm. The batches are fairly large these days, so it's easier to work with. Totally. Um, trying to peel enough tangerines for 100 <laughs> barrels of beer would be a little difficult. But. Job creating. Yeah. <laughs> That's true, job creating. Yeah. yeah. I could take little pieces of it and put it in a cake that I'm making. <laughs> Tangerine, Ryan. And uh, it was great, man. You know, so it's... it's, it's could have been an IPA, but people didn't think it was IPA enough. Oh, I didn't really know. I didn't. You know, it's kind of hard to, to tell sometimes how people are gonna react to um, descriptions, especially when when you're hybridizing styles. So it's like which which word is going to catch better with the consumer, and <clears throat> what might turn them off, what might turn them on, 
what might confuse them. I usually go for the third. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> All right. And then uh, Dan from Beer Karma, great bar in Williamsburg. You just opened another Stillwater beer. Let's let's try that one. Yeah, we opened up the uh, Stillwater Extra Dry. This was the uh, sake style uh, saison. So I believe it's it's sake rice, uh, yeah. uh, and then saison yeast, Brian. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> this is one of my favorite beers. I've I've sort of hopped on the trend of drinking much lower ABV beers. Now that I'm drinking beer almost every single day, the the sort of seven and a half percent, eight percent double IPAs, I'm, I'm consuming less and less of. So opening up a can of this and and Drinking it in under five minutes at the end of my shift is is very common. <laughs> You're also a part of like a running club too, right? Uh, yeah, I created a running club out of Beer Karma. Uh, mostly Monday, every Monday night uh, we're running, uh, and then occasional Fridays we're gonna wait to, to do another Friday run until the the weather warms up. Uh, but it's kind of a good crew. We we're partnered with uh, We Run for Brew Beer Runners Unite. Uh, we we do a quick run leaving at seven o'clock, and then we come out, we come back, drink some beers. I I usually do some sort of special uh, featured around a local brewery. Uh, um, and then there's always a little bit of a bottle share, uh, not necessarily a heavy, heavy duty, but you know, people who've been to different beer releases or breweries over the course of the last week will bring stuff in and then we'll, we'll open that stuff up, which uh, mon- Monday nights actually tend to rock a little bit, uh, cause the, the neighborhood's a little bit chiller. So I don't mind keeping the doors open a little bit later. Uh, so sometimes my Mondays end up being a 1am kind of late night <laughs> drinking and, and, and a very hungover Tuesday morning. So this whole trend of beer clubs, I noticed mm-hmm. McKellar NYC is mm-hmm. open in Queens. They already have a McKellar Beer Club. Yes, yes, they're all the the McKellar Run Clubs all over the world. There's there's several chapters all over Europe uh, and, and in the United States. Um, I mean, it's kind of a, a, a one runners are thirsty. You know what I mean? When you come back from a long run, one if you're doing the long running, you you tend to be in a little bit of pain. Um, so you want a beer to both rehydrate and numb a little bit of the pain. Um, and in general, it's about balancing it out. I mean, in the end of the day, beer's a, it's an inherently unhealthy thing. I mean, it's 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 you've uh, earned it uh, exactly. <laughs> I mean, that's part of it. So it's like I mean, I, I run ultra marathons, and it's after I run thirty miles, I'm gonna drink up on. Of beer. That's why um, you're so buff. Uh, I don't know. That I'm buff. So what's what's your long run when you guys do the Monday nights? Uh, we don't usually do two very long runs. We're we we've been doing uh, the McCarran Park track just closed. We've been doing interval workouts on the track, which is nice because it keeps people together. Um, you know, if you're doing even a three mile run, people that are running a seven minute mile versus a nine minute mile are going to be spread apart. Um, but being on the track, even though the workouts that I program tend to be very difficult, um, everyone's kind of together. It's a very like kind of fun, jovial experience, high-fiving each other when we're done. Everyone's panting and laying on the ground after doing the workouts. Damn, but, so I need a Stillwater Extra Dry. Uh, yes, definitely Saki. Stillwater Extra Dry. After so Brian, t- tell us about this. So you get sake, rice, inspirations. It's It makes yeah. a lot of sense. It was, um yeah, it originated with a collaboration that I did with uh, Kiyuchi Brewery in Japan, the makers of Hidachino. Um, and they also have a, a sake uh, winery, I guess, on, on site, and a distillery, and, and so on. They, it's a r- pretty interesting operation. Um, <clears throat> so we decided to make a, you know, make a hybrid of their, you know, of their sake, um, uh, their sake, and a saison. Uh, their their sake was really bright and vibrant, um, like almost like citra, you know, cit- fresh citrus and such. So um, we use uh, Citra Galaxy and Hallertau Blanc in that, the, in the dry hopping. So it's, ins- it's inspired by their sake, or you, <clears throat> you're actually using their sake? Yeah, well, when we did it there, we kind of introduced a koji culture and also the, the, the beer itself. Uh, so it had some of the, the cultured rice, uh, I guess it's a bacteria, that ferments the rice, and we added that into the mash um, in order to kind of ramp this up and make it more realistic stateside. Um, I just opted for sake rice um, and a Pilsner malt base. And it's, uh, as you can see, it's like bone dry. So do you put the rice in with the malt at that stage? Yes. Yeah. 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 Wow. And Brandon, you, you're not into everything. Oh. I know you know a lot about wine. So, you know, what do you think about the, the different, you know, beers that your husband makes? And uh, Well, I got in trouble the last in? time I was on the show <laughs> talking about wine versus beer. <laughs> So I'm going to do it again. Um, <laughs> before I was m- with this lovely gentleman, I was not really a big beer drinker other than growing up in North Carolina where craft beer was a huge thing. So I kind of overbeered myself at a young age. Um, <clears throat> but his beers I actually find incredibly nuanced, especially because I've been out of the scene for so long. Um, I, I'm kind of exclusive now with Stillwater. So I love them. And I actually finish a beer now which the last time I was on the show 
I probably couldn't have said that, but I can drink a whole beer now with pleasure. Um, <clears throat> but usually by itself, usually hot vine bling. I like tangerine haze. And we just remade pineapple fields, which is my forever favorite. Um, we did not bring So talking that. about running and other rigorous activities that, that might make you. I think there are health benefits to beer. I know that on labels, TTB, you can't say that. But I know that fr- a friend of mine is a orthopedic surgeon. Vitamin B. And he said that um, when Gatorade was created, basically it's 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 a, a a you know a potion to put electrolytes back in your system. But he says that he can't say it as a doctor, but that beer has similar you know composition, so it puts electrolytes back in your system whether you're working out or having a wild night. Is there any truth to that? I would I honestly believe that. Especially low alcohol beers, extremely. Uh, it's a nutritious beverage. You know, it's grain, <clears throat> grain, yeast, you know, vitamins, hops. Um, I mean, if you're at like 4% alcohol, it's pretty diluted. Um, I don't know. I don't, other than the alcohol component, I, I think beer is extremely nutritious and healthy. Rich, any? He's yeah, got some or facts. can be. Look, I don't know about the milkshake beers. Yes. <laughs> you know, the, the, only, the only thing in beer that's not particularly healthy is the alcohol. So, you know, if you can even have a couple sips of 12% alcohol Imperial Stout, and it's healthy for the first couple sips, and then <laughs> the booze builds up. But yeah, as Brian says, you know, it's full of, you know, full of protein, full of B vitamins, especially if there's yeast involved. There's B1, B, uh, B2, and B12. It's the only uh, vegan source of vitamin B12 that's out there. So, you know, I mean, these are important things. But, you know, if you have too much alcohol, then that kind of negates a lot of the, the health benefits. And there, it's a vegan product, mostly. Mostly vegan. Are your beers vegan? Uh, most of them, yeah. yeah. I, there's lactose in a couple beers, so um, yeah, I guess they're not. Yeah. You know, something reached out to us recently, talking about lactose. So th- there's, you use lactose to, to, to sour in, in some cases, right? No, that's lactobacillus. Lactobacillus. That's a bacteria. Lactose is uh, milk sugar. So, so milk, sugar, m- milk sugar is unfermentable by Saccharomyces, which is beer yeast. So what? So, like so you add it a to milk stout. yeah, you add it to beer to to leave extra sweetness and body because it's unfermentable. So it just it'll stick around. So you might make like an orange cream beer with lactose or yeah, something totally. like strawberry milkshake. A lot of breweries are doing straight up IPAs with lactose now. I mean, a lot of the other half beers yeah. that are coming out now are there's are, some lactose and wavy. Yeah. Let's try wavy. From try that Brian, from what I've been told, is that uh, th- that a little bit of lactose in IPA actually helps bring out some of the hoppiness. Is that true? Um, it's not necessarily just overly sweetness in, in some of the IPAs. I, I tend to prefer it in, in stouts uh, than I do IPAs. But you know, I mean, in the U.S., we've gotten so good at drying our beers out. You know, our, our yeasts are highly attenuative right now, so the the style basically is super dry, and that that really became an issue on the West Coast. You know, the West Coast IPA is known for having you know. 80 or 85 percent attenuation, which basically means that you start with a beer or start with a wort that's got a lot of sugar, and then you can convert most of that sugar into alcohol. So all of a sudden, you're left with a beer that's really alcoholic and doesn't have a lot of sugar in there, and it makes the hops pop and taste super, super bitter. Uh, but now the you know the, the swing back the other way uh, on the East Coast, you know the, the New England style IPA and all that is much much softer, and uh, they they achieve that softness through you know leftover uh, uh, starches and dextrins and stuff in the in the in the beer from uh, you know from wheat additions or oat additions. But you can also add a little bit of lactose to you know intentionally sweeten it up a little bit and soften it and ripen up the the fruit aromas you get off of those hops. Emollient. If we're Emollient. For a good <laughs> yeah. That's what it feels like to me. <laughs> I thought it was a bad word. I, I just, I, I, I'm not a brewer, and I don't know like all the technology, but mm-hmm. it's not a bad word, is it? Lactose and beer. No, no. It's the same thing as we were talking about earlier with citrus. It's balance. So if you find something super hoppy, adding a little bit of lactose is going to give the depth of palate that makes people feel a little bit more satisfied, quote unquote. Great. So this is the wavy beer. We'll talk about that in a minute, but let's. Since we're talking ingredients, I'd like to talk about. Um, you know, you're going to be brewing in, in Brooklyn now, Brian, and you know, there's access to some New York ingredients, hops, and and uh, grain growers, which you might get to, to uh, work with. Um, a, a farmer friend of mine who's up by Cooperstown, Paul Dench Layton, Violet Hill Farm, actually just sent out brewer alert, texted me at four o'clock. He's got five tons of red fife wheat that was destined for a mill, and they just canceled on him today. So any brewer that's in the northeast region that wants five tons of red fife wheat uh, to make a batch with uh, just will 
put the word out to Paul. But um, and and I mentioned that earlier, Brian. You said you've made beer with with red fife wheat. <clears throat> yeah, I did one uh, for Dan Barber at um, at Blue Hill, at Stone Barns. <clears throat> um, apparently, his friends at Anson Mills um, had a had like a kind of a, a messed up crop due to strange weather, and so the the red fife actually malted in the field. So they mm-hmm. sent it up to him. They're like, eh, is there anything you want to do with this? It's the same kind of situation. And um, they called me up and asked if, asked if I wanted like 5,000 pounds of field malted red fife. And <laughs> I said, sure. And we made a beer. It was like an amber farmhouse. I don't know. They might still have some bottles left of it. So what did you do with it? I mean, you, you went up, you checked out the... the the grain it was malted enough for you, and did you have to? Yeah, do it was. Else like, it was malted it? enough. Um, it was kind of still a little damp, and it was, had a little funkiness. That's why I went for a saison. Um, but it, it was really cool. I didn't. I I just had it shipped sight unseen. I just checked it out at the brewery and figured out what to do with it. But you know, it was a good ingredient to begin with. Yeah, I mean, it was worth giving it a try at least. Yeah. That's super cool and super uh, super innovative. I, I like that idea a bunch. Do you do you remember well enough? Do you know if it there was good conversion? Yeah, it it was it, we, obviously I didn't. It wasn't the, the entire base malt. Um, mm-hmm. So I was. I think we were using something like, I think like twenty percent of the the grist. Okay. And so I it probably still maintained some starches that float over, and that that's fine. It, you know, I don't mind some some. I mean, today that's the that's the key. Just yeah, that's right. Throw flour in there, <laughs> especially for <laughs> the a, a Dan Barber beer too. I'm sure he's he's happy to have some extra body in there. And yeah, so it was nice. It was I mean, it was still a really lean, dry beer. It was a little bit of caramel malts. It's kind of like in between an alt beer, German alt beer, and uh, saison. Um, but it came in around seven percent, so it was nice. Some caramel, some some bready malts from the the red fife, and you know, some spicy yeast character. Brian, we're going to start calling you the, the grain doctor. Grain doctor. <laughs> we got an extra batch. We need Brian. <laughs> that might be cool. So you, so you think with opening the new place in Greenpoint, I mean, what innovative things will you be able to do? Um, <clears throat> I mean, the one thing that I'll be able to do uh, a lot of that I haven't been really, really able to flex uh, over the years is uh, barrel aging, uh, just wood aging in general. We'll have fooders and... Fooders barrels. Um, we'll also have some stainless steel tanks, but uh, I think we're really going to just concentrate on mixed culture fermentation things that I'm I haven't been able to use as still water out in the in the uh, nomadic ge- <laughs> brewing world. So you you can it's your environment. You can control it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Rich, any anything? Uh, you see a lot of people playing around with, with barrel aging and everything. Oh, for sure. Challenges. Yeah. There's a ton of barrel aging stuff going on. But yeah, I mean, there are always challenges for, for every sort of technique you're going to do. Um, you know, I think something that happens nowadays that this is sort of kind of one of the best times to be playing around with barrels because if something sours up on you that you didn't intend to sour, you know, that's kind of okay. You just kind of change the name and re-blend it with some other barrels and you can get away with, a, you know, releasing still a very good beer and the market or at least some segment of the market is perceptive of that that they're ready for it. You know, Dan, I'm sure you've you've sold a lot of different <clears throat> a lot of different beers and you get people in your store all the time that are either, you know, huge sour heads or they don't want anything sour but they still want some some oak aging or something. Yeah, uh, uh, sour is definitely the biggest thing they're looking for. I mean, not necessarily specifically wood, but but you know, I think a lot of people uh, they'll start with something like the Insetto or the Hopfine um, and then want something funkier that's had a longer fermentation. They're not they're not scared of coughing up a couple extra bucks for something like Crooked Stave or the Tilquin Goods because uh, mm-hmm. they realize that there's there's more nuance that comes out of that long fermentation that sure. long souring yeah. rather than it's the like dish. a pet nat as opposed to a champagne. Nice, yeah. I like it. <laughs> yeah, I was doing a uh, uh, training over at uh, Taurus today. We um, we were talking about uh, the differences between um, kind of fresh sours or just the yeah. straight up lacto sours. It's pretty quick. It doesn't you know it doesn't take any more time than brewing a regular IPA does, for instance, or a pale ale, whatever. Uh, so you can get a lot of good sourness in there, but it doesn't develop any uh, real complexity of, of flavors because there's there's no Brett activity. You so. guys, are, uh, Brian's getting cold. I'm getting cold too, David. There's no heat in this place. <laughs> we better take a short break. We'll be back in a few minutes on Beer Sessions Radio. All right. Hey, thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network. This is Katie, HRN Executive Director, and I'm so excited to share with you our coverage from the Charleston Wine and Food Festival. We are here live today at Charleston Wine and Food. Join us as we talk all things food. Come to Charleston, eat some seafood. Eat all of the seafood. Chicken fried chicken with chorizo steak and salsa verde mashed potatoes. So quintessentially like Southern fare. 
at its finest. And have important conversations. We're also talking about professional women in restaurants and how underrepresented they are. People of color in restaurants and how they're not talked about. We get real with Food Network's Manit Chauhan. Balance is BS. <laughs> uh, I, I, I was, yeah, I was told that uh, I wasn't going to be bleeped out. And find out about raising sugarcane with Chef Sean Brock. It's like being Indiana Jones or something. You never know what you're going to find. You'll come away inspired by the power of food and the food scene in Charleston. Here's Dr. Jessica B. Harris. Food is constantly in flux. Food is always moving. Food is the only real lingua franca that we have that allows us to connect with other folks. So tune in to Heritage Radio Network on tour at heritageradionetwork.org or wherever you get your podcasts. You can't go wrong. Hey, welcome back to Beer Sessions Radio on the Heritage Radio Network. Uh, where do you get your podcasts? Well, you can just go to heritageradionetwork.org, and, but we're also on Stitcher and now on Spotify. So uh, you can load up all your podcasts. I think we've got 400. This is probably 426 or 7. Uh, Brian's been on quite a few, too. So welcome back. Strunky's going into production. All right. <laughs> Opening up in Greenpoint, production uh, by Stillwater. That's been a big feature of our show. We're talking about sour beers, things like lactose and versus lactobacillus. And, and Rich, you just poured us another beer. What's this? Yeah, so this is called Helle Schlinkerla Lagerbier. It's a, <laughs> it's a bit of a, of a mouthful, uh, even if you speak German, because it's in, um, it's in uh, Frankish dialect, so northern Bavaria. But anyway, it's a... It's a Non-smoked beer that comes from a smoked beer brewery, and so they don't actually intentionally uh, use smoked malt in this beer. It's the one beer they brew without smoked malt. It's kind of the way they wash their yeast uh, free of some of the smoke because they brew so many smoked beers that uh, their yeast picks up uh, some of the house flavor from their smoked malts, and then uh, they can use this beer or this uh, the same yeast in this beer and uh, reduces some of the smokiness while at the same time imparting some some smokiness into this beer. So that's all. That's that's sort of an academic way of saying this is a slightly smoky, absolutely delicious, uh, bready, malty, uh, pale colored lager that uh, you can just pound. Let me just day. say this is also a, this is a classic beer that I love for a long time, and there's a hint of smokiness, but it's very refreshing. Yeah, I had the um, <clears throat> my old bar manager for the bar I had in Baltimore. Um, referred to that beer as the beer with terroir. Yeah, because totally. it's got the house flavor. Yeah, it, it's micro it's terroir. Not, it's not yeah. a smoked beer, but it's it's just on all the smoked equipment mm-hmm. and 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 the yeast obviously is transferred from there. So it's it's a terroir driven And I'm yeah. going to, to natural wine. So I was at the raw wines event that last year or recently. Very nice. And um, I've I, missed it twice now. I noticed that th- there are some grapes that are grown in volcanic soil Etna. The smokiness comes through into the wine. Mm-hmm. This is similar to this in a different way. Uh, I don't know. Yeah. Just tell us about well, that. Terro- I was fascinated <laughs> that, that smoky wine. Ter- I mean, terroir exists soil. pretty much everywhere. It's ubiquitous across, especially growing regions of any kind of variety. Um, but hops have terroir. This is a huge conversation we've been having as we've been spending more time in Washington, the hop centric realm of America. Um, but the smokiness obviously would become, if it's from volcanic soil, it's history is of being burned. So you will drink a, a beautiful red wine from Mount Etna and it's going to seem a little bit savory or something different, but terroir can be tasted all across the board. Like you like mushrooms from a one certain area, you know, it's morel season. Yeah. But when um, you actually taste the, the smokiness, in the wine, and I'm trying to bring that to this. Yeah. So, th- so. Well, beer has the same, it's micro terroir though. Like we were talking about, it's indoor terroir often because the yeast strains you're using get, they sort of build up their own flavors over time. So if you're contract brewing, for instance, like you're going to get a more streamlined flavor. But if you've been making the same thing the same way for centuries, it's going to impart that flavor, whatever you do in yeah. that place. That's how like a lot of, a lot of the yeast strains that we're using today are, Basically, just mutated versions of other yeast strains. I mean, Saccharomyces is, it's it's <clears throat> it's a type of yeast, but then there's all all different variations of it. Yeah, lager yeast like didn't people. exist on its own 500 years ago. It it hybridized off of ale yeast and and wine yeast. Yeah, like for instance, uh, like from what I understand, Duval, Duval's yeast is a Scottish ale yeast, and nobody would ever expect that. It's like, it's like become like the pinnacle Belgian golden. Um, and it's nothing similar to a Scottish ale, but that's you, you wouldn't, where, you wouldn't know it because they never ferment Scottish ales in Scotland at high temperature. Yeah, that's true. They, they don't they don't have warmth in Scotland. <laughs> 
Uh, yeah, the, the terroir of all this stuff is, is fascinating to me. Like, like you know, as a gypsy brewer, which you may or may not be from from now forward, I guess. But uh, you know, if you were to brew, um, you know, if you were to brew any of these beers at the Heller Trun Brewery in, in Bomberg that makes Schlinkerla, their brewery's uh, house flavor is totally going to affect your beers, and so you're not, you know, people that are looking forward to, you know, to buying some some hot fine bling are not going to be able to get the exact same flavor that they that they're looking for. But it's an excuse to you know show off the the, the micro terroir or the personality of all these different breweries. So it's a fun opportunity. Yeah, that's one of my favorite beers. I, I went to yeah. the brewery, um, I think late last year, um, with my friend Sebastian from Freigeist. Oh, nice. And we just went off over Franconia just to the Zeugels and yeah. just crushing lager. That's for like three days. super fun. Yeah. Well, let me, let, let me let me let <laughs> me dovetail that into a little plug for my, my own trips. I uh, I'm leading uh, educational beer tourism trips to uh, Belgium and Germany, and Bomberg is one of the places that we visit. They're uh, two day deep dives into uh, different uh, significant um, uh, regional you know cities that represent uh, subregions of, of beer culture in Europe. So we visit Brussels, we visit Antwerp, we visit Bomberg, Regensburg, uh, Munich, Dusseldorf, and uh, Cologne. Um, super different places. They love to hate on each other, but guess what? The beer's good everywhere. So it's a it's a great way to to learn about different beers by heading over there. Wow, man, you're you're getting to do so many great things, Rich. Yeah, I'm I'm pumped. I'm pumped. You know, I mean, there's enough good beer out there. Enough people are interested in good beer, so I'm happy to be a, a, any part of it. Good. Let's just go back to the wavy beer. So Stillwater Wavy. Tell us about that, Brian. <laughs> Brian's a trooper, man. He's got a fever. He's he's dying, but he's here. <laughs> yeah, it's a Dayquil. <laughs> well, and um, and this beer that I got down with when I got here, um, yeah, wavy, wavy is um, well, it's a um, it's a way for me to experiment with hops. Uh, every time we, every, it's a double IPA, but with a little bit of lactose. And I basically every time we brew it, uh, we just I I use three hops, but I always change them up. And it's just a way to kind of have fun. People people always want new new beers, new IPAs, and new just little changes so it's kind of fun we release it in every batch has a batch number and then a little three abbreviations of the hops that we used do you have that at beer karma dan uh i do not currently have this in stock uh i'm uh admittedly anti-lactose in ipas so i tend not to buy many ipas with lactose in them uh, i have had it in stock once though but yeah i generally speaking occasionally i'll get something that has a little lactose in it but i i, I tend to avoid it uh, as we were saying earlier with with the the sweetness that it adds i kind of feel like most of the east coast ipas are already leaning really sweet um so my personal preference is that i i, I tend to avoid uh, the the fruited ipas and the lactose ipas so it's sort of my beer selection is a reflection of what i i, I like so and I when you're so. buying beer how, how do you know that i mean do you just ask uh sometimes i ask sometimes i you know when there's a an offer sheet i tend to do some digging i'll look into like instagram posts and i'll look into to sort of what uh sometimes what when the distributor sends stuff they don't include all that so i i'll, I'll do some of my some of my own personal research to sort of dig to see if if the the new fruity tropical ipa is is tropical because there's passion for dead or because they're just using new zealand or australian hop varieties so <laughs> so i'll do some some digging into that and sometimes i, I will ask that question because sometimes it's not particularly clear um because they're, they're trying to push the the tropical thing for the new england ipa um and and so yeah it's it's doing my own research on that great and then now um what the brewers association announced all their new style guidelines so there is a a new style called is, is it hazy and what yeah <laughs> hazy and juicy <coughs> hazy and juicy but is is it hazy and juicy pale ale hazy and juicy ipa there's three categories yeah, hazy yeah. juicy double ipa those are the three yeah it's it's uh it's great hazy's time has come mm-hmm. i've i've always <laughs> liked hazy beer <laughs> Honestly, when back when we started Stillwater, I was uh, I was always having a hard time keep keeping the haze in my saisons because I always thought it added a really, you know, an extra mouthfeel. And when a beer drops too clear, it kind of thins out a bit. Um, so yeah, I mean, I I don't find it, find it shocking that that is a you know it's a popular thing right now. I mean, I think people have to do it right. When I see glasses of Mud like water. beige, it's like. like like bone broth looking things. I'm like, that's that's not right. And it doesn't look appetizing. But a proper hazy IPA looks like, you know, 
poppy orange juice. Like, I'm totally down. There, it's a style that, that it's gotten a lot of people excited to grab about craft beer. I think it's one of those things where sometimes there's a little hate in regards that like there are people just looking for hazy IPAs and that's all they want to drink. Uh, but at the same time, it's something that's gotten people interested that they were vodka soda and Bud Light drinkers. Now all of a sudden they're looking for local craft beer because they like hazy IPAs. So it's something that really got people on the hook to not just occasionally have a craft beer, uh, but but really go and seek out that kind of stuff. So uh, I think it's a great thing. It's using beer flavors and beer ingredients to make a bigger tent. Mm-hmm. You know, nothing wrong with that. Right. Who knew that opacity was the gateway drug? Yeah. <laughs> right? Wait, it's the same yet. thing in wine these days. People well, are like, is it unfiltered? Wait, Rich, say your thing again about the tent. Uh, well, let's make a bigger tent. And, you know, if we can expand the tent by using beer flavors and beer ingredients, then, hey, no, that's not, what works. They're not, and then, Bryn, what did you say? I said, who knew opacity was the gateway drug? And now Brian wants to. <laughs> Well, I think I do that for you, listeners. That you want to hear these things more than once. <laughs> we I live do. in an ultimately visual uh, environment now, with Instagram being so popular. Mm-hmm. It's like it's a shock, shocking thing. Like non-beer drinkers, when they come across like a picture of a beer that looks like orange juice, they stop. They're like, "What the hell is that?" And uh, and I think so. It was capturing attention that it, you know, because it was something different. It was ca- it was digging into a new market. It was almost like when I changed my marketing a few years back. I gathered a lot of n- new fans because there was certain people that the original packaging didn't resonate with, but this catches the eye, you know, in a, in a different way, and it also captured the eye of a different audience. Well, let's uh, you're talking about cans too for Instagram. This wavy is a really interesting. You know, Shout packaging. out to Mike Van Hall appropriations. <laughs> no, the can, can art makes a huge difference. It's and it's it's a better, it's a great canvas for for both art and for the breweries as well. It, it helps it pop. I mean, you were saying the Instagram culture of, of the, the the sort of the hazy pour, uh, but people are also looking for the can art for that. I you know I, I struggle with that in certain beers. Is that like Grim, for example? Is like when I get draft, it moves really quickly, but not as fast as the cans because people want to go home and take a picture with both the can and the hazy pour. Just the hazy pour sometimes isn't even enough. Um, but it's also been a it's been a canvas for local artists. You see, you know, sir, uh, breweries like KCBC, they're using, I think it's uh, Roy Halloway and, and Christy Borg do all of their art, and it's a consistent theme, and it's a great thing to sort of help uh, stand out on the shelves as well. Wow. Uh, Rich, what did you pour for us? Well, yeah, uh, I'll dovetail it with uh, that conversation. I've poured actually something a lot of people haven't had in a little while, but it's an American Amber Ale, and uh, this is Prohibition Ale from Speakeasy. Uh, so I'm out here in New York. I'm pumped to be here, but uh, I'm coming out from San Francisco. I'd love to see some uh, San Francisco brands and give them a little bit of love out here. So this is a, beer, a brewery that's been around for a long time. They opened up in 1997. Uh, you know, they helped create the San Francisco scene and help kind of, you know, make sure that there was a career for me out in San Francisco. I'm pumped. I never worked for them, but I'm pumped about the beer. They uh, <laughs> fell on hard times last year and uh, went into receivership. So they closed down and uh, unfortunately had to let a lot of staff go. But a couple folks managed to stick around and uh, shepherd the beers through uh, re- receivership and they found a new owner. Um, so they're now now they're back and better than ever. And uh, it's really great beer. This beer won a gold at uh, GABF for the American Amber category, uh, I think in 2015. So it's a really solid, solid beer. I mean, it's it's a gold GABF uh, winner. So it's, it's about as good as it can possibly get. So this is a style that uh, brought a lot of craft drinkers into the fold, uh, you know, 20, 15, 20 years ago. And it's still delicious. And I like to drink a lot of the newfangled stuff, but I like a lot of the old, old stuff, too, because uh, I'm, I'm an old fart. So <laughs> I like the old stuff, too. Well, good. Thanks for sharing. One thing, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go back to you. So you're a master Cicerone. I know that there's people that are gunning for it. They've created this, you know, almost whatever level called advanced Cicerone that a lot of people are going for. Mm-hmm. But as a master Cicerone, you know, what, what doors does that open for you? I mean, you got to come on our radio show. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it doesn't open a single door. It, it really requires a, a personality and ability to represent beer, you know. I mean, I, I'm, I'm in this for the beer. Because, I mean, Master Cicerone, sure, you know, there are not too many of us right now. There are going to be more, which I look forward to. Uh, but having passed the Master Cicerone exam doesn't mean I know everything about beer. It means I know how to learn about beer. And you don't learn about beer unless you're passionate. And so I'm super stoked about this stuff, and I just want to spread the gospel about it. And so if I can get more people excited about beer, then I've done my job. And I'm constantly trying to learn more about beer because there's no end to the amount of stuff you need to know about beer. And the more you know about it, the more you're going to enjoy it. I promise you. I'm having fun with you. 
In fact, everything you say, I'm going to ask you to repeat, but not that. <laughs> and then last night, so you, you've got the old world versus the new world tasting tomorrow. Last night at Treble Park, another great beer bar in New York City. What was the theme of that tasting? Uh, we did an off-flavors tasting. So I hate to harp on off-flavors too much because guess what? It's not the best part about beer, but it is, uh, it's a reality about a lot of beer that it's not in the best condition. And so you know things can go, things can go wrong with a beer, and it can end up developing a lot of different flavors that are just a little bit, a little bit off. So it's nice to know how to spot them, how to taste them, and um, yeah, it's sort of an underbelly of the beer world. So let's talk. So in terms of a brewery, so Brian, you know, in terms of brewery production, you know, are there any situations where there's an off flavor that that you guys or your production partners have to deal with? Um, <clears throat> every once in a while, you know, we come does across it, uh, like a maybe a, a diacetyl spike in a lager or something, and we have to um, you know let it ferment out a little more. But um, I mean. We do everything possible to, to not create all flavors, but, you know, occasionally people make mistakes. Yeah. And what about for you, um, Dan, at a bar, do you ever get any, you know, beers with off flavors? Or occasionally, yes. Uh, in general, I mean, a lot of the breweries now are very good about uh, checking that and are, will dump beer. I mean, I know some local breweries that they it, it sucks because they dump out 30 and 40 barrel batches when you're a small brewery. It hurts financially, but but they're responsible about it. Um, I've done some of the off flavor kits as well. I, I actually want to do another one now that I'm open for some of my regular customers because some, some of them are hard to sort of, when, when they're that uh, prevalent, you're not necessarily going to get that in the market. There are certain ones like Oxidation, which you may see a little bit more more. Regularly. Depends what you're drinking. Yeah, if you get a lot of imports, then those um, tend to be more oxidized. Yeah, more so aged. Uh, uh, you know you don't run into it terribly often. But I've had a couple of samples that dropped off, and I was you know had to dump it on the drain because it was just not not there. Um, but you know generally speaking, it's kind of few and far between because I think uh, people are, are brewers and, and breweries are much better about understanding that the market is more well educated now that you can't just push that out to the market that people are a lot know of quality. I think that the quality level is just really high in terms of the beer in general. Um, but I, I wouldn't know. I, I, I've sat on some of those off-flavor tastings, but, you know, you could fool so, me. I'm sorry to be unaware, but there are whole tastings dedicated to off-flavors. That's there what you're are, telling there me. There are kits that have, like, you spike a, a very light, pale lager. Usually something. It's usually Bud Light, right? You or, can spike whatever, whatever you want. Uh, oh. the, the less flavorful the beer is to begin with, then the more easily you're able to pick out the, the variations. But, uh, you know, I like to run... These things with this is uh, amazing with IPAs yeah. and barley wines and, and stuff. You'll, you'll you know, get a lot, a lot of we new, need this for a wine. lot of new, newer breweries that <laughs> are kind of just starting yeah. out. Sometimes, you know, maybe a small local brewery, th- they they might have some defects and they may not know it. Well, I think sometimes just educating it's, it's the a, consumer on what yeah. Well, sometimes it's someone like a Dan like, at at the yeah. retail end. You know, maybe they bought the keg and, and they're tasting it, and, and it'll come out that way. You know, at, so I was a brewer for ten years. I, I want to sort of protect brewers a little bit here. It's not just breweries that uh, that are the cause of some of these off flavors. It can also happen during uh, during shipping, during handling, and all that stuff. So beer that's stored warm, beer that's uh, out of date, yeah. you know, things like that. Clean lines. Yeah, draft lines are a huge thing. Got to maintain well, and clean your draft I'm thinking lines. for staff, too, as a as a previous restaurant manager, teaching your staff what cork takes, tastes like mm-hmm. in wine is like a years-long battle because a lot of times somebody will never taste something that's corked and a guest will reject it. Mm-hmm. And you're like, I don't know what that is. Um, this is fat. This is I'm utterly. No, that, that, that's impressed. a great. Uh, that's really example. cool. I I wouldn't. I don't really know what what cork wine tastes like either. Um, even Wet though newspaper. <laughs> you say that, but. Um, <laughs> I, no, I've but that's the thing. You, that's what's great about the the kits is that it kind of you, it's it's better to have one person that sees it. Uh, so you, it will tell you, okay, you're going to taste these things. This is what it is, and then it's kind of nice. You sort of I, I know what it is, and the rest of you are trying to th- figure out what it is. Is it corn? Is it wet newspaper? Yeah, or what, whatever it is. Um, and and then it it also helps because it, it, you'll someone will say something, and you're like, ooh, right, that's exactly what I'm getting. I, I never I did, wasn't thinking of that. It's sort of group think it. Yes. Yeah. yeah come so up, then Madison's throwing you're kind of a beer doctor too, right? Uh, in a way, answer our questions. Well, beer beer is a rich doctor <laughs> beer fixes me up and i fix up beer <laughs> so i want to give a, a shout out to brian too uh, uh i just want to say so i'm in new york doing a few different events out here i love traveling doing events uh my first kind of tour i did was back in 2013 and i did an event in uh, washington dc um at uh uh pizza pizza paradiso i think yeah. and i had a great time it was a it was a great event it was sold out i got a shout out in the wall street or in the um sorry the washington post I was super pumped, and then I found out after the event that uh, this 
certain Brian Strumke had showed up at the event. I was like, what? <laughs> Brian Strumke came? I drank the hell out of his cellar door. I love his beers, and I was so stoked that you were there. So thanks, Wait, man. Which, which event was that? Uh, it was... Uh, I, you know, <laughs> it's, been, it's been a lot of events oh, in the last I get it. I get it. Decade. Yeah. I think I called it... Uh, um, track something about the the uh rusticity and elegance this uh, i love yeah pick, pick yeah I'll, I'll come up with with silly terms for beers of course yes. but but it was basically uh tasting a whole bunch of uh, uh belgian beers from van bergen to wolf and uh okay. kind of charting out how what they did well about them to make them very elegant and say like champagne like and uh taut and focused and austere as well as uh beers you know that also showed some rusticity at the same time so sort of earthy notes uh, mushroomy tones uh you know wild fermentations mixed fermentations Maybe things like, like that saison dupont yeah saison dupont yeah, yeah perfect yeah. example guys let's make a toast to uh brian strumpy brian uh production is opening this year in uh for still water out in greenpoint brooklyn man congratulations Thank congratulations Thanks. we're yeah. cheersing with uh my I think th I would say this is my favorite Stillwater beer. This is the Insetto. This was the bug juice you mentioned earlier. It's a, a sour ale with Italian plum and, and dry hopped. Uh, it, this is one of my best sellers as well. I, this beer is amazing. Thank uh, you. This is this is like uh, the the was it Josh Bern Josh Bernstein just did a whole like beer and rosé thing and I mean this is kind of that perfect thing where it's a, a perfect summer beer for sure. So how does this become your best seller? Do you, do you feature it? You put the cans out. Uh, it's one of those things where a lot of times people will be like, "What's this beer?" Because it's uh, the you could the art pops. You could see it from across the room, but you have to pick it up and look at it and see who who the brewer is, what the beer is. But it's also when someone says, "What is it?" Is it just art? I'm like, "No, the beer's awesome." Like you, you like trust me. It's a really beautiful color. It's kind of a light pinkish purple. Um, it's not doesn't necessarily. Sometimes people are a little bit scared of like red and and too purpley beers, just because they think it's going to be a really sweet uh, kind of too much fruit juicy. Uh, but this one just it's super subtle, looks really nice in a glass. Um, so when, I, I'm not ashamed of just pointing people to it. Like yes, get that. Don't don't uh, don't be shy with that one. And we're going to give a big shout out. Uh, we have some special guests on the show. Uh, we're big supporters of Slow Food. You know, backstory on Heritage Radio Network. This original Slow Food founder from Italy, Carlo Petrino. Petrini inspired our founder, Patrick Bartons, who worked for him in uh, Europe in the 1990s. And he came back to New York and founded Slow Food USA. And, uh, you know, by extension, uh, we're big supporters of Slow Food NYC chapter. And Barry and Diane uh, at, the, at the recent uh, Slow Food annual fundraiser bought the Craft Beer Day with Jimmy. So, guys, I just want to say hi. I know you're, you're, you're big fans. Barry and Diane, to say hello. Hello. <laughs> hello. This is great. <laughs> You don't have to what, say how much you bucks. paid, but what the big bucks. Yeah, <laughs> should have been like five hundred bucks. But they've been sitting there the whole time. They're really enthusiastic. They're going to join us in Roberta's afterwards yeah. uh, for some pizza. So, anyone else want to wrap it up with anything? Rich, you got all your tastings. How do we keep up with you? You're at Multi Rich on yep. social media. Yep, follow me at Multi Rich on uh, on Twitter and Instagram. Hit me up at uh, richhiggins.com. It's my website. I put up uh, all the stuff for my travel, my events coming up. I te I teach a ton of courses all over, especially San Francisco. Uh, just big fan of beer, so come join me. Great, and if you're talking Slow Food NYC, April third or fourth, a Wednesday night at uh, Institute of Culinary Education downtown Manhattan, their uh, Slow Food Duck Cookoff. I'll be there if you want to check it out. Slow Food NYC. Um, just to wrap up our production uh, sort of spotlight, we actually just launched an equity share crowdfunding campaign on growthfountain.com. Um, it's growthfountain.com slash production. You can see sort of how we're doing things, but it is an equity share, not just a Kickstarter. Um, a really cool opportunity for everyone to get involved. And let's just get our head around that. So it's even though we know Brian Strunky Stillwater, yes. the place is going to be called Production. Production, yeah. It's a separate... It's a, a separate brand, but it will still be run by. And we didn't get to talk team. about it too much, but so so the, it's not a crowd fund. It's not like a, a donations. People are actually going to get equity. you get a you get double return on your investment in addition to rewards like you would a traditional um, investment. However, as of last May, it became legal to invest in not only brick and mortar locations but also to invest. Uh, quite a bit more money, um, both as an individual and as a collection of individuals. So we have donations up to a million dollars, in which case you'll travel around with Brian to three countries. But they're not donations. They're, oh yeah, it's, sorry, it's not donations. Equity. It is an investment. Yeah. Um, so we, coined, we, we decided we, we have to, we're calling it equity fund. Equity funding, yeah. yeah. So um, that one's really kind of the sexiest perk. Obviously, you travel with Brian. For a million bucks. <laughs> for, a three, for a million dollars, you'll travel to three countries, make your own beer. It'll be released to the market. and That means they get to travel emails. with you too, Brian. Yes, I'll All be right. there to mediate. <laughs> <laughs> 
So um, tell us one more time the link. It's gro- growthfountain.com slash production. So for equity funding and the, the new. It's pretty, and, it's pretty interesting. Yeah. And you can follow us on Instagram at production.brooklyn. Great. And Brian, anything else you want to say? I know you're fading. Uh, yeah, man. Um, I'm glad I made it out. <laughs> it, was a ru- it was a rough one today. Uh, but um, yeah, it's good to see you. And thanks for um, featuring me. Yeah, again. man. It's fun. I think everybody was excited. We we're lucky that Rich Higgins was in town. And I know Dan's a big fan of yours. And Dan, anything else? We've got the, the uh, Monday run night. At Monday run is always Beer fun at Beer Karma. Uh, Instagram, best place to see sort of beer updates. It's beerkarma.bstc. Uh, and then on Twitter, it's Beer Karma NYC, which is both uh, commentary from from me about working in the beer world, and then also beer updates. Uh, and just to Brian, I'm very excited. It's really exciting to sort of see sort of brick and mortar roots. I think it's 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 important. I think I think you did a great job as obviously as a, as a gypsy brewer, but you know now that more and more people are are, are in touch with what what beer is and, and where it comes from, um, I think they're excited to sort of come sit down and, and, and in Stillwater's uh, actual space. Uh, which is exciting. Thanks. <laughs> That's Kingsland Avenue. If you haven't heard of it, I was like, where's Kingsland Avenue in Greenpoint? You're going to know where you'll it know, is. You'll know it soon enough. Production. <laughs> well, and then I know, you, I know you said you're going to focus on, on a lot of fermentation stuff, but will there be Classic at the brewery? We're bringing Classic back in June. Fuck yeah. <laughs> I was going to say, if, if, if I went on a run tonight, which Stillwater would I drink? It'd Extra probably dry. be the Classic. Well, no? Uh, it's not available right now. No, it's so been, it's it will been be. gone from it be extra two years, now. I think. I would say extra you time. guys, this is gonna. I think this is gonna continue. So you know, you guys are gonna keep talking at Beer Karma about which Stillwater's to drink. This is fun. Uh, Malty Rich, we're gonna see you tomorrow night at ABC Beer Company, one of my favorite Good Brazil bars in Manhattan. And uh, Brandon Bryan, we're gonna see you a lot more coming up. And check us out our annual event, Brisket King NYC, April twenty fifth, briskitking.com. It is the hottest brisket event in America. So brisketking.com. And a big shout-out. Uh, thanks to our producer, Justin Kennedy, engineer David Tadashore. I'm Jimmy Carboni. Thanks for joining me here on the Heritage Radio Network. We'll catch you next time on Beer Sessions Radio. All right. Woo! Woo! All right. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.